Cheers to another one. Knives down. Aprons off. The last table is served. The station is broken down. Everything's put away. Your inventory is complete. And now it's time to meet me on the back dock where all the most important meetings are held. We shall. Take a deep breath and enjoy a job. Well done. At ease, kick off your clouds. Smoke them if you got them. What a nice cold beverage. Smooth can of Asheville owns archetype brewings, cowboy poet. Now let's get to the good stuff. Oh, yes, sir. What do you think have been the biggest challenges so far in growing this particular program, Aaron? I mean, or is it just growing so fast that that that's the problem? It's not one or the other, right? So <laughs> we're 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 growing fast. That has its its challenges. We are also still working against the system and stigma. I'll go to a restaurant, go to their pre-shift, introduce chow, our resources. I'll introduce the resources from the restaurant association, from the giving kitchen, from not nine to five, so that people know where their resources are and that we're not the answer for everything. And I would say, depending on the organization, there's anywhere between 10 and 50% of the room kind of rolling their eyes or, or their just uncomfortable with being in the conversation. We've also, like we said earlier, there's a a lot of not even older folks, but people who like the industry the way it is, the pirates that, and I I feel like you can still be a badass pirate and be healthy. They're not mutually exclusive, but I think we've gotten into this. No, it has to be like this. There has to be ass slapping. There has to be um, misogyny in order for us to feel like pirates. So I think that's one of the biggest hurdles is that for change to happen, people need to know that there's an alternative. Mm-hmm. And in order for them to know there's an alternative, they need to acknowledge that there's a problem. So we're in that stage of of trying to educate folks that there are other ways and I and I think that's really hard because we're we're a grassroots organization. We're going door to door to restaurants to tell people that this is available, and it's it just takes a really long time, and it takes more than the handful of folks that we have working. And so, what spoke to you about this organization or this effort that you decide to make this such a large part of your life? So. There's a lot of things. Um, I have friends and family in the industry that have attempted suicide. I've had friends that I lost to overdose. I also personally have been diagnosed with anxiety, depression, PTSD, and um, ADHD. And while I was working in restaurants, I didn't know that. So All I knew is that some days were really hard. Some weeks were really hard. And it seemed like I just couldn't catch up. So all these things together, when I heard about Chow and people actually talking about the, by then I had already been diagnosed. um, And I had the, the luxury of, I transitioned to teaching and had a therapist that I found. So I had the luxury of having a therapist to figure all this out with and realize like, the folks who are still working in restaurants that aren't teaching don't have time for this. So how can we make it more approachable? So when I heard about Chow, I 
said, well, that's great. You have it in Denver, but I live in Boulder. So let's get one started up there. And yeah, I've been with the organization ever since. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, It's a a long road of seeing myself and the people around me struggle in ways that I don't think they have to. Jazz, what about you? What, What are you to the organization? I'm a product of the great resignation and I love you calling it the great reset because I've, I've never heard that term used before and it is so accurate. Mm. Yeah. I'm a third generation chef. Um, My father's a chef and he parented very much the way that he led a kitchen full of men. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I think I was primed for the environment. Unfortunately, I never received any kind of what I would identify now as impactful or good mentorship. I learned a lot of toxic traits, and I was definitely the person that continued to propagate the toxic work culture. I don't think that I was a good mentor. I don't think that I was a person that was easy to talk to, but I was very efficient. I was very goal-oriented and very good at my job. When I left the, the industry, I saw a post about Chow, and I reached out to Aaron. And I told her that I was uh, doing some work on myself, transitioning into wellness, uh, and I was wondering how I could get involved. Uh, For me, one of the biggest driving forces is that we're essentially told that the way that we run kitchens is based on the military brigade system. My husband's in the military. They're, They're given a wingman to take care of. You know, they're coupled up. Their mental health is based on them working a specific amount of hours and then they have to clock out. There's incentives for taking care of your body and for taking care of your mental health. And so I saw this discrepancy with how supposedly we're based on the military brigade system, but that he had such an excellent support network around him and I did not. So I didn't know where to go. When I found Chow, I was incredibly relieved. I think it's a cop out when we say, oh, it's kind of a military system. Although my wife would be the first to admit that sometimes when she hears me talk about it, she says, it sounds like you're going to war, which, you know, very often it does. Jess, to your point, you know, almost every restaurateur chef has always been focused out to the exterior community, right? We're the first ones anybody comes to when there's a, when there's, you know, a hurricane or, you know, there's a benefit and we're always like, yep, 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 yep. I, that speaks a little bit to like the need to be wanted and liked and appreciated and not having sufficient boundaries to say no every once in a while, but that's another topic. My point being is that I think what we've forgotten is that there's an internal community. And so sometimes it's just a shift of perception. Maybe it's just a word, you know, now it's not a crew with a K or family, which I don't know about you, but families have kind of a sour taste in my mouth. But if it's a team who comes around shared values or a certain shared core values. Like I can, I can be down with that. I, this is what I'm in here for. And actually to commit to that, that becomes a community. And from the community, the culture is built because it's all happening elbow to elbow. It's not a poster on the wall. So this whole idea of uh, community, I think cannot be undersold. And I just spoke to Chef Maria Campbell from uh, Philadelphia and she's done amazing work, you know, bootstrapping pieces together for a couple of years um, in service to her, her community of, of, of hospitality workers in Philadelphia. And she's, you know, I tip my hat to her because I most, well, I'll just own it and say, you know, I got a lot going on in my life. And do I actually have enough time to like put all this stuff in my car and drive it down? And I guess I, that would only matter. Like that decision can only come from if I think it's worth it, or I think it's like important enough. Do you know what I mean? Because there's no good reason to change none. 
right? We can stand around and wait for someone else to fix it for us. But the reality is, is nobody's going to fucking fix this except us. This conversation has inspired me to try to get into the changes that happened for me because I, Please. I was also the, uh, the chef that threw things and, and yelled. And then I slowly transitioned to the one that just took a deep breath because I was thinking, trying to fix the problem. And what I heard from my staff was that was worse. Cause they're like, now you're, you're disappointed in, in me. And, and I was like, okay, so that's not a great managing tactic either. But I, I'd like, like, Nobody, again, it wasn't taught to me. It was, I just realized at some point that when I was screaming, nobody could hear me. They just heard yelling, right? So I want to try to look back and see what's what changes happened. Where did I learn to do different? So that that, that might be a map for, for other folks that are like, I'm interested in change. I don't know how to do it. Right. You, yeah, yeah. I think that's a fascinating question, especially to do that kind of sense of inquiry of like, okay, so like, can I point to a, a particular event or something that happened to me that actually started shifting my viewpoint where I thought, you know, this is not working. You know, what else is out there? Um, because I've known, uh, done a lot of, a lot of internal work, especially because I got to a point where my wife said to me, honey, all I want is for you to be happy. What, what makes you happy? And I said, I don't fucking know. Because I, in that moment, I couldn't think of a single goddamn thing. Now I think part of me was lying because of course there's always something, but from an existential standpoint, like does being in the kitchen still serve me? Do I still feel happy there? Do I, you know, all these plugging myself mentally into these places and like to come back and go, it doesn't make me happy. And if all the places are different, then the only the only single uh, factor in that is me. Like, if none of these other places are going to make me happy, then is it that is it that is it their fault? No, then I got to own it. And so I think for me, it was 2011. I was in the island of Tortola, British Virgin Islands. I had just moved there to take a job, and I had the last ten pills out of a five year addiction to opioids after two back surgeries and half a bottle of Brugal rum. And I looked at myself in the mirror, which I couldn't remember the last time I actually looked in the mirror. Like we do it so quickly. And I thought, I can't, I can't, I can't fucking keep doing this. I can't, I have kids, you know, and I would love to think that I would stop anything for my children or my wife. But the reality is I, I was so unhappy that it, it had to be about me. I had to stop believing my own bullshit. That was it. Anything my ego was coming up with, tainted. Thank you for caring. Fuck you for sharing. Don't need to hear it right now because I'm trying to choose something other. <laughs> but um, it really is um, the most subversive thing you can ever do is to do your own work because from there, anything is possible. Yeah, I mean, I had a similar situation. I didn't, I, my, and mine was not related to substance use, but I, I looked around me and I realized that all of my relationships they were all assholes. <laughs> Boy, thank you. And I was like, well, this is, this, this is before. Us. No, 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 no. I'm taking- <laughs> but I, and I was like, but these are the people I picked. Mm-hmm. I'm an asshole and I don't want to do this anymore, but I didn't have good adult role models. And that's what made me look for a therapist. 
I, again, I wasn't going to fix my anxiety or depression because I didn't have words for that. I went because I wanted to learn how to be a better adult. I wanted to learn how to be in line with my values. Again, I wouldn't have been able to say that before therapy because I didn't learn it until I was in it. But, but that's all it took for me. And I want people to know that you don't have to have a rock bottom moment. You don't have to be staring down the depths of depression. You can just not like what's, what is happening in your life to what be motivated for change and then start asking questions, get curious. Well, where can I start? And that's, that's where I think the chow meetings are a good place. If, if there's a bridge to wellness, the chow meetings are the first couple planks, a place to kind of step in and go, I'm not sure what I want. I'm not sure what's wrong, but I'm not, I'm not great. And just hear from other people about how their lives are working. That's it for this episode of Chef Life Radio's On the Dock. Chef, if you're ready to advance your culinary career, then let's book a free discovery call today by going to cheflifecoaching.com forward slash discovery. And the link is in the show notes. At Chef Life Radio, we believe that working in a kitchen should be demanding. It shouldn't have to be demeaning. It should be hard. It just doesn't have to be harsh. We believe that it's possible to have more solidarity and less suck it up sunshine, more compassion, less cutthroat island, more partnership and less put up or shut up. And we get to have more community and less fuck you. We chef. And finally, we believe in you. Consider for a second for all the blood, sweat and tears we put into what we do. It really, at the end of the day, just some stuff on a plate. None of it really matters. It doesn't define you as a person or make you any more special or less than anyone else. It's just a dance that we're engaged in. So we might as well laugh and enjoy every bit of it. Or didn't you know that the purpose of your life should be to enjoy it? I get happy. I fuck. Love it. I am humble. Goddamn, before it walks out and live on now. <laughs> Stand tall and frosty, brothers and sisters. Until next time, be well and do good. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, all the other goddamn social media sites at Chef Life Radio, all one word. Visit us on the website at chefliferadio.com. In case you didn't realize it, we just got our asses kicked in there, man. This show was written, produced, and recorded by me, Adam Lamb, at the Dish Pit Studios in Bardo, North Carolina, and co-produced by Thomas Steffenberg. On the Dock is a production of Realignment Media. Media.